Sambhagavato-rahato-sammā-sambhuta-sa-namo-ta-sambhagavato-rahato-sammā-sambhuta-sa-namo-ta-sambhagavato-rahato-sammā-sambhuta-sa-pudang-dhammāng-saṅgā
presence of body, the the groundedness, you get excited or depressed or just sped up, speeding up or agitated or just too busy. Mm. So we lose presence. uh, When you lose presence, it's dangerous. And you're prone, open to all kinds of... um, sense desires and ir- irritations which come from losing presence. As you haven't got firm ground, you want something to hold on to. Um, so it's something we can get hold of. Generally this is continually thrust under our noses. It's something to have or gain or become. Some kind of performance or status to acquire to give us a sense of firmness because we lose it when we lose presence. We get irritable because feeling unsteady, we're naturally touchy and and, uh, irritated, uh, easily irritated. So we feel that sense of loss of ground and then uh, irritation and ill will that comes from that. Mm. So losing presence itself is already a real calamity actually for humans. <coughs> losing clarity means we don't see things as they really are. We mistake you know, flashes of sensation for something that could be lasting and permanent. Flashes of, of intre- pleasant feeling for something that could be, po- could be lasting and permanent and acquired. Flashes of unpleasant feeling are something to fight with or Feel, feel depressed by. We don't see things clearly as they are. We don't see the causes of things, how they arise. We don't see, see the inclinations of the mind. So lose clarity. We lose purity of heart, which means we, lose, we give up on ourselves. We lose faith in the purity. Purity is what? Purity is... Um, Trust, basic trust, basic trust and basic goodwill. Goodwill is just the willingness to be here in an open-hearted way. Not not fearful, not pushy, not demanding, not grabbing. Just that sense of basic heart where we feel, um, you know, the willingness to be present. And that's all these bases support each other. The base of presence, the base of good heart, the base of clarity, they, they support each other. And very often in meditation, in Dhamma practice, we're just starting to get presence of body in because with, without that, then the heart is always going to feel agitated and uncertain. hasn't got something to rest in, to feel strengthened by Certainly we cultivate purity of heart in terms of our deliberate intentions. And yet still, with those deliberate intentions, however good they are, one can still feel nervy, agitated, and uh, uh, um, you know, lacking. So presence of body is really helpful to touch into the natural goodness of heart. And using clarity to really see how these causes and conditions can be generated and fostered and encouraged and lingered around. So we're not 
looking in the wrong place. You're keeping your attention steady on the on the heart, and steady on the body. You know where where you can begin to establish that that ground. So then, we're internalizing the refuge of Dhamma in this way. Now, in one of the suttas, the um, suttas of that which is to be cultivated and to not to be cultivated, uh, the Arahant Sariputta expounds on. Uh, on bodily conduct, verbal conduct, and mental conduct. So this uh, this is a familiar theme. These are with the, where which these are again lining things up in terms of these uh, of what gets activated, or what gets sankarad, where the activations and programs occur. So say bodily action, that which is to be followed, actions which are to do with uh, non-harming, non-stealing, uh, uh, non ab- non-sexual abuse, uh, non-lying, um, verbal, uh, and also even just pointless chatter. So he kind of goes through one's speech is just gossip, slandering, useless, nothing worthwhile storing up in it. And yet we kind of, you know, throw this stuff out <laughs> and so you have the bodily conduct the verbal conduct and then the mental conduct mental conduct is inclinations and it's really to do with uh, you know the, the inclinations perceptions views and the formation of self so he looks at these four areas which are all to do with the business of the heart mm-hmm. So, physical action, verbal action, and the activities of the heart. Naturally, link up. If one's heart isn't clear, then often, you know, settled, then in this uh, unsettled state, then people kind of talk about pointless things, they talk about distasteful things, they insult, they gossip, they bear tales and they just babble away saying nothing very useful (laughs) because the heart isn't really uh, fully established so the the conduct of the mind the conduct of the heart leads to conduct of the speech and if one's heart is full and steady, then one says things are useful, gladdening, touching, courteous, uh, bring around friendliness and harmony, reconcile enemies rather than divide friends, and so on. So the possibility of real beauty in terms of conduct uh, comes from the heart through the speech into the body. So really the cultivation, all these are important, Certainly in terms of a retreat situation, you know, we're really looking into the cultivation of heart or mind, this, this base. And there are four these areas, inclinations, perceptions, views, and selfhood. <coughs> and they rest on top of each other. 
So this, these appear in, in the mind, this is where the five hindrances uh, they crystallize in this way. We have greed or acquisitive, covetousness and uh, sense desire, you can experience that. This is this experience or ill will, uh, malice or distaste or aversion, shrinking away, trying to cut something off. Mm. And the covetousness is always trying to grab hold of something, have more of it, store it up, and ill will cutting it off, pushing it away. Then we have this uh, uh, sloth torpor, which is sense in which we become very passive. Don't want, you want to bother, just, just lean on, lean on the situation, lean on things, just coast. Not really, no, no potential, no vitalization, no enthusiasm, no investigation, the mind becomes just uh, coasts or, or leans, it's not, uh, and it becomes dull and flaccid, with no, no vibrancy in it. And then the uh, hindrance of restlessness is overactivated, so you get the slow torpor is underactivated, and then the restlessness is overactivated always bringing up things should be done, have to do, got to do now, um, you know, and, it, and then it can create more and more things it has to do, overactivated. And then lastly, doubt. <coughs> and doubt is um, the lack of confidence, lack of trust, lack of faith. We're always um, trying to find some ideas or thoughts or that will make us feel certain. So we doubting mind tends to look towards the intellect to provide certainty. Systems and structures, or silavata paramasa, attachment to systems and structures. Mm. Or personality, you know. We get stuck in our, our personality view expecting our personality to be something, um, looking in the wrong direction. So you're looking for a personality to be enlightened or awakened, and like the Ajahn Chah's symbol, it's like looking for a turtle with a mustache. You ain't going to find one. <laughs> there are no enlightened personalities. They're all, because of personality, you begin to, you know, not, treasure it and not get agitated about it, you realize it's just a, a kind of structure or a, a um, structure, a set of uh, programs that have developed as the, as the interface between the heart and the world. So our personality is structured, is generated through contact with parent, friends, parents, um, world around us, uh, social currents, cultural views, um, the nature, nature of the, the world we're living in, and your personality is kind of generated in order to cope with that and, and provide some sense of permanence and solidity, <coughs> even though it's, it's a lot of work to try and do that. And it always feels under pressure <coughs> to try and make things. So with... with um, you know, 
this is where the, the hindrance of doubt is also associated with the fetters, the, the uh, things that bind the mind from its true opening, its true awakening, its true touching into a transcendent domain, which is the so these th- fetters. Uh, attachment to the personality, not so much having one is, is fine, but having the wrong view about it. It's called Sakaya Ditti. It's the wrong view, holding personality in the wrong way, expecting it to be, or lamenting over it, or trying to lo- look inside it and find the transcendent inside it. And you don't, that doesn't happen. So, <clears throat> and then attachment to systems and structures, or uh, such. So, or systems and, and customs, so this it means, you know, th- th- routines, uh, techniques, uh, rules, uh, protocols, uh, you know, which people use, and the, the wrong way of using them. So obviously, you know, people do have order and society works in certain ways in order. The wrong way of handling it is we fondle them. So that's called paramasa, to fondle it, to to sort of become obsessive about it. <coughs> Whether something neurotic, feeling that this will make us feel everything will be safe and steady if we get the right rules and customs and systems. Everything will be lasting and permanent. Yeah. And so this particular fetter and there's something nervous about that so people get quite uh, rigid about structures some people are like got scaffolding they've got so much structure they're like a clank as they walk along and we can almost hear it (laughs) 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 you know it's got to be this way and not that way and you know, it's the wrong day for it, and I only do these things in the mornings, and at five o'clock in the evening I've got to have this, and I've got to have this one at this time, and, you know, which way you use your fork, or um, it's July I've got to have a vacation, I can't have one in August. I can only do my uh, washing, has to be done on Tuesday, not on Monday. Uh, you know, what, whatever it is, we, 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 that forming systems and customs, or you attach to your meditation technique, got to do this, only this, everything else is wrong, this is the only way, keep plowing away at that and you'll get there. And, uh, uh, you know, it, 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 it's, a, it's this sankara, isn't it? It's an activation, it's establishing a program. Yeah. And then we feel, well, it's not working because I haven't properly established it yet. So more into that. And why it's really useful to just keep you know, coming into presence here now is unstructured. Here now, the sense of that doesn't have a structure. No, I mean that's that's you know not the end of the story because yeah we we need to generate skillful structures just to take our refuge in something that is innate and doesn't have to be structured. So then you well when you're really feeling here and present, what do you need to do? What's helpful from there in your meditation? What's helpful when you 
come into that place and you let your heart settle into it, what really feels important or enjoyable or lovely or beautiful, gracious or distasteful, you know, when you're really just finding that. So you're not just adopting a whole load of um, beliefs and systems for the sake of feeling you, you, you got it all. Feel secure. You're not going to find security that way. This is, becomes very apparent to me just living under monastic rules and systems, which is lots and lots of. And you can get really pretty tight with all that. Generally, you do at first because you just get kind of feverish about getting it all right. But it's so much of it, eventually, you can't get it all right. It's and you, you know, and different monasteries do things slightly different ways anyway. So you're always eventually just loosen up because it's not about getting it right. It's about what these training rules and are trying to encourage a certain sense of attentiveness, mindfulness, um, and really also flowing along with with other people, harmony with others. So monastic life really isn't monastic. Per se, it's, it only arises inter- interdependent with people, wage earners, household people. You can't have it one without the other. So it, it really is very much of that nature. And just that sense, so much of a training is really trying to pick out the signals and live in harmony and um, with our fellows in all, all respects, even with creatures. You know, you think, well, I don't want to build a cootie there because it's going to disturb that ant's nest, you know. So you have training rules about not disturbing creatures when you build your cootie, your little hut. Um, Things of this nature. So it really is getting a sense of sensitivity and uh, rather than just hanging on to structures, what they... So this means really you, 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 we're really looking to the structures to, to make us awake and responsive rather than make us closed down and secure. Mm. So you look at situations here, you know, the structures here, and then what... You're using your time, the days, it's not, oh, it's, you know, I only meditate at these hours, or this is the time to go to practice time, is this, you know, do you have these periods where you just say, oh, this isn't my, this isn't my meditation period, I do so many hours, and this is my non-meditating bit. (laughs) What's happening there, you know, it's not that you've got to, just think meditation is just going through particular forms, sitting, you know, doing anapana or whatever. But just are you are you awake and sensitive and firming up and purifying the mind and awake to that possibility all the time? You know? So this then helps to free the mind from uncertainty regarding uh, dhamma. You know, Dhamma is not really a belief, a dogma, a system. It's not a meditation. Isn't you can use systems, but meditation isn't really a system. It's the flowering and the unfolding 
um, the liberations that occur through using systems and structures skillfully. So then freeing from doubt is uh, you begin to feel the mind experiencing something transpersonal such as uh, faith, confidence. So it's, it's confidence in Dhamma. Confidence in the Dhamma as it's manifesting in you, in your own heart. You have confidence in that. You trust it. It's not complete, it's not perfect, but at least you know where to look. You're not going to look at your personality as something that's uh, there to, has to be something that gives you confidence. You know. Always I find myself surprised because, you know, I feel, uh, uh, I really notice, I just feel very steady and peaceful and happy in terms of Dhamma. The personality is kind of not that great really, it means well, but <laughs> it's generally well-meaning. But it's kind of a bit shy and bashful and slightly cranky here and there. Well, you know, but then, well, what what else? You you know, what else do you expect? (laughs) Because it's it's socially conditioned. It's it's certainly shifting shifting as the years go by from being extremely intense and uh, and withdrawn and and uh, extremely kind of bashful, withdrawn, just through. Experiencing the generosity and the warm-heartedness of people around me, uh, but I think you know, a sense of anxiety is dissolving over the years. <coughs> and yet, you know, here and now, there's this contrast in the the beauty of good intentions and inclinations. So you begin to shift to that and let the personality just sort of, and all its stories and so, yeah, it's there, but this is not something that we have to prioritize as getting right. It will shift and change in its own time. That's recognizing the, the dependent arising of the, of the person, who's a, a personality. It's the voice of the mind. The... Uh, Say that the fir- probably the first reaction is the person. The first set of reactions is the conditioned person, personhood. Whether you act upon them or not, but the first set of, of oh, you know, is, is the person, the personality. Nervous or um, defensive or confident, you know, or whatever it is, either moving forward or moving back. You get that first reaction to things. Is often that's that's your skin, that's your personhood. When you notice that, and you check and pause and relax. Okay, and now what's really important now? So just that system of pausing for five seconds, three seconds, ten seconds, and coming into something. Yeah. 
giving us giving your attention time to come through the personality through the personal karma into the heart what's really important or beautiful now are you moving through that <clears throat> so this helps with inclinations and it also helps with perceptions perceptions are the the first impression we have of something where we trigger we get triggered by uh, what we assume other people want or like or we assume about ourselves the first flash it's the perception pausing with that and you don't have to wrangle with it so much as just uh, step back from that perceptions are conditioned fabricated um, untrustworthy um, impulsive uh, they, they, they immediately occupy your mental space it's just that immediate being grabbed by something that you want to realize is a, is a danger it's it grabs you it's not <laughs> helpful yeah. Dhamma is much more a uh, sense of something much more you can rest in open steady you rest in it the first thing you want to notice about perceptions is whether they are you know steeped in a sense of the host- hostile world around you you know or the desirable something you're going to get and have these flashing reflex twitches that perceptions bring up just pause, check that and uh, seeing if your volition follows that if your inclinations follow that then you're feeding the hindrances if your inclinations don't follow it investigate it, check it, then we are starving the hindrances. That's a simple system. So if you just pause around a perception of the desirable or the undesirable or there's ill will or whatever around me, pause, check what's happening. Then you return to to the refuge return to the Dhamma this is something you can keep doing because the the mind is so indoctrinated by perceptions perceptions rest on views So we notice uh, particular perceptions can trigger ill will or sense desire or lethargy or torpor, like nothing much going on, why not just hang out? Or activations, overactivation, restlessness, there's so much to do. Those perceptions can trigger that. Perceptions trigger that. Or there's something, doubt, perceptions that trigger doubt which are something I don't know, something I need to know, something I can have and be made firm by. So these perceptions that trigger that. 
I remember a friend of mine going to uh, a retreat led by Mr. Goenka, and he, when he was on this retreat, he he heard one of the other retreatants going for an interview, and this retreatant asking this really kind of brilliant, incisive question to Mr. Goenka, and Goenka kind of gave him this answer. He said, oh, I think I'll ask that question. So he went and asked him, and Goenka said, you're thinking too much. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> just trying to look good by it by <laughs> coming up with the right kind of question to make it seem like you're really smart and sometimes you just don't have much to say but then that's okay so you're trying to be intelligent <laughs> or seem intelligent thinking intelligence is a verbal matter uh, is doubt intelligence yeah, there is verbal intelligence, but really what counts is not verbal intelligence, heart intelligence, which is sensitivity, mindfulness, awareness, and checking in with that. So you check those perceptions, and how many of them perceptions give rise to the sense of, I am. You know, I am needy. I am attacked. I am worthless, you know, ill will. I am, have to have something, covetousness. Have to be something, covetousness. How many perceptions trigger off I am? I don't have to do anything. I have to do everything. How many perceptions trigger off? That's that's their problem. They, They trigger off and they strengthen this self-view and one of the key feature of self-view is it's always an isolationist view um, isolationist view means I'm separate I'm, de- I'm not dependent I arise independent I'm a permanent thing that arises independent mm. so when I experience sense desire then the sense comes up that I am cut off from that which is pleasing and gratifying. Because the senses do that. You know, you're cut off from, you're separate from that which is pleasing and fulfilling. And you want to try and get it. And ill will, I'm stuck with that which is displeasing. And I'd like to be able to get away from it. So the push is to get away from it. But really, one can neither be... Uh, we can either hold on to anything, nor can we get away from anything, because that's that's the wrong view. The wrong view is the self-view, which means I am somehow separate from, and therefore can get away, or I'm separate from, therefore I'm not associated with that, which is pleasing and fulfilling. And that view is the basis of the hindrances, the self-view. The Buddha said there's nothing more harmful than than wrong view. We could say wrong view means self-view or there's nothing more important and useful and uh, furthering than right view. And right view, you could also say holistic view which is a holistic view means is the, the realization of 
participating and being in a field of skillful and unskillful energies that come and go. And it's just being in that and you're part of that and it's arising within you and it's arising around you and you're just holistically in all that and seeing all that and recognizing within that we, there is the potential to affirm the skillful, just to focus on it, to orient towards it, to you know, establish it. So right view is, is this kind of str- other uh, lengthy uh, formula. There is such a thing as the results of good and bad deeds. Mm. One is, you know, one is not never one can never be separated from one's good or bad deeds. But essentially, there are the results of good deeds. There is the results of that which is offered. The results of that which is sacrificed. So a sense of renunciation, or generosity, or virtue or crystallizes a field of skillful results. There is mother and father. We're not separate from people who've come before us, been before us. There is birth, rebirth. That is, uh, this process continues. We're in a field. We are a field. We're not a lump, a fragment that kind of pops up out of nowhere and then just falls apart again after so many years. There's this kind of ongoing holistic field of cause and effect. And further, there are those beings within this who experience uh, and teach rightful awakening. So there's the possibility for a full transcendence within this field. So, recognizing this, then we recognize that in that experience of being in that field, nothing can be, nothing really can be, you can't be separated from because you're in it. Now, what you can be separated from is what we see as the externals. There's things we can see and then we can not see it. There's things we can touch and then we can not touch it. There's things we can taste and then it can disappear. That's the external. The internal, there's no separation. That's why it's so important to cultivate this. In the internal, you realize there's your mother, there's father, there are the good deeds, there's the skillful results. There, You're in that field. It's like being in a, a very wide, rippling lake. And every drop of skillfulness adds to that widening lake of effects. As soon as you contract and you try to, you know, grab it, then it drains through your fingers. This is called the field of merit. And the problem with using a word like merit, it seems as if it's a particular thing that you could have. But it really means you're in this stream of uh, fruitful experiences, fruitful cause and effect. You can't have it but because you're part of it. You're in it. You're a ripple in that. And there are all kinds of ripples and resonances running around. The wrong view 
by setting up the sense of the separate self, says, well, you know, you've got to grab and hold on. And you've got to push your way and resist. Those are the basis for the two first hindrances. Or it's all set and done, you just coast with it. That's what sloth taught, that's the view of, of, uh, of pointlessness and aimlessness that uh, is where the origin of sloth torpor is just a feeling of kind of hanging out. Or there's a lot to do, you've got to do a lot in order to win your place here, restlessness. And doubt means we keep looking in the wrong place for, for the, the benefits, for the fruitfulness, for the... Um, for the skillfulness, for the blessings. So there's nothing more harmful than wrong view. It's like looking in the wrong direction, looking at externals, looking at in that way. This is food for the hindrances. And the more that one follows that wrong view and ponders upon it, then you're bound to come up, the mind is bound to keep cooking up something to have that we don't have, something to get irritated by and want to get away from, um, coasting, over-agitation and lack of confidence. It will always cook those up. They are food and it's great at cooking up meals. (laughs) (laughs) That perpetuate and further establish the basis of individuality. Now, this is called the, the view leads to the acquisition of individuality, and the, the, and the that, that that's how it happens. The starving of the hindrances is through careful attention, giving full attention to what's really happening, the interior, what you really have, where the potency is where the potentials are, where the real morality is born, where empathy dwells, where there's presence and awareness, dwelling much and inclining towards that. And this is where we begin to experience the gratitude. Hmm? Oh, you know, I've been born. I'm a human. I feel, you know, I rejoice. I can take pleasure in the welfare of others. Mm, how lovely. Mm, you feel grateful to have this human interior, well, which has root basic potentials, to feel um, empathy, conscience and concern, loving kindness, to feel that. The interior, which has the possibility to deepen and calm and strengthen, giving us a secure, steady place how blessed to have that possibility. The interiors which have the possibility for real, clear discernment and sensitivity towards the movements of the mind. You know, so you can really work out your what's best for you. You're not just kind of automatic or just strung out by instinct or stuck in a 
nation or a society or a, you know you're you're in that you're not in the external that's that stuff which you don't have much say over <laughs> and then you can contemplate what you do have some say over and cultivate that so you know this is what we begin to recognize and realize with right view The very set up, the acquisition of, it's called the acquisition of individuality. Nice, kind of, doesn't slip off the tongue that easily. But this forming of a separate entity. So notice when you're walking along, there's sights and sounds and sense of presence. And there's a feeling of this bit is me, isn't it? I'm walking along through down this corridor, along this forest path. Um, walking backwards and forwards on a meditation track, here I am doing it. Mm. Mm. I'm moving along from one place to another. That's what the senses tell you. Actually, what's happening? You look what's happening. Well, that tree's getting bigger. It means you're walking towards it. There are certain movements. So it, it interprets things which have their truth in the external world. But internally... You're not moving anywhere. You're still here. Internally, internally you don't go anywhere. <laughs> here doesn't go anywhere. It doesn't can't go anywhere because it's always here. It doesn't need to go anywhere. Sights and sounds are flashing over it, flashing by. Hmm? So just even when you're walking down the corridor, notice even the shape of a corridor kind of this line with a visual perspective really gives you the sense of straight line perspective. We're so tuned into what that does to our eyes. Right, here we go. Get to the end of that corridor. You know? We've been doing this all our lives, I'm sure. In school, um, wherever. You see a corridor, get to the end of it. You know, so you go into that track and you can feel yourself narrow to move along to the destination the exit, the entrance, the toll booth, whatever it is, get to that place. So, so, led by the eyes. This is the external. But internal, you're going anywhere. How does that, that doesn't go anywhere, does it? Does it? I mean, Check it out. You come into balance, you feel the, there's movement, you can sense the movement's happening, visual consciousness is functioning, sights and sounds change, and they're just ru- moving by, they're rushing by, some have got a little snag on them, they want to pull you out, and you just relax that, some of them you want to back off from, you relax what's happening there. Stuff happens. Stuff happens, but you don't happen. Mm-hmm. 
So there isn't the acquisition of individuality doesn't have to keep occurring. You don't have to keep being somebody going somewhere. <coughs> this is great news because as you know, being going somebody going somewhere, where is that going? Well, six foot under is where it's going. Yeah. <laughs> Essentially, or up a chimney of a crematorium. Yeah. Where's it going? Does it ever get anywhere? Gets the next place that you have to leave. Hmm. Yeah, it's a powerful pull. You go to an airport, everybody is trying to be somewhere where other than where they are. <laughs> and in this dislocated non-place, the airport, which you know, everyone wants to be leaving, yeah, they just come bombarded with coffee and donuts and things to buy and whatever, just kind of, just trying to hold people together, I guess. <laughs> Something to, to gratify with. So it's so, uh, you know, it's, it's so nothing. <laughs> and yet really, does anybody go anywhere? anything real actually go anywhere or is it just impressions that flash and pass feelings come and go inclinations rise and cease moods of oh I finally arrived at so and so that's nice and then oh I've got to get through there get a taxi get a hotel there you know that's good and no it's not because the key doesn't work go down to the desk and get that and so on you know (laughs) does anybody ever get anywhere Really, get somewhere for the night, and where you're going to go tomorrow, and sort that out, and get that established, and that would be better. Oh, I've got to fix that, and lunch an appointment, and check in credit card, and make sure this is working, and so then I'll be okay. Get, get all that sorted out, and then something goes wrong, or somebody calls, or the phone rings, or get that sorted out, and be okay. And so it goes. Nobody ever gets anywhere. It's just onward going, going onward, never arriving. Mm. That's when we're snagging on these exteriors, the sense bases. Mm. That's the acquisition of individuality. Saying, well, if you're going to acquire an individuality, don't don't acquire that one. Instead of acquiring individuality of I'm becoming a more peaceful person. If you want to have an individuality, look at that one. I'm becoming a more peaceful, easy, relaxed, focused person. (laughs) That's a better acquisition of individuality if you want to acquire anything. So you, you contemplate, you look at that. How does my relationship then shift with the sensory world? I'm no longer led by it. Uh... I look at the snagging points uh, and a feeling of, oh yes, I am now a more peaceful, uh, trustworthy person with some self-respect. This is the skillful acquisition of individuality. 
and then contemplating that or that as just that which has arisen, caused, conditioned, perceptions, feelings, moods, and so forth, fortunate ones, skillful ones, as that, then there doesn't need to be the acquisition of a personality. It could be just resting in the field. This is the field of merit. Essentially contingent, interdependent, transient, changeable, inconstant, and yet a skillful field of merit is flowing along moment at a time in a benevolent, uplifting, skillful way. And we can abide in that, the skillful field of merit. This is the foothold where, through being relieved from the pang of sense desire, the poison of ill will, the lethargy, the hopelessness, the agitation, the endless questioning and searching, we find a quality of beauty arising in the heart. And faith is born, sadha, confidence, and uh, discernment arises, clarity as to what's skillful and what's not skillful. Mindfulness is there, the ability to stay present, bear something in mind. Energy is there, there's a sense of vitality. And uh, instead of being exhausted or struggling, there's a sense of buoyant vitality. Energy is there. Collectedness is there. One feels composed, collected, unified, no longer having three different identities struggling with each other. No longer having something berating you in your mind. A sense of of being unified. This is samadhi. So through that, there's five indriyas, five vital, authentic leaders take over from the five um, outlaws (laughs) who drag us around and say, this is is the, the skill, the blessing of practice. These are transpersonal factors. It's like, uh, you know, they're not created through a person. They're created through Dhamma. They're created through meeting and understanding the message of the hindrances, the view of the hindrances, the perceptions of the hindrances, the inclinations of the hindrances, and seeing they're all fallacies. They're fallacious. They're confused. Uh, and we don't have to wrangle with them, or fight with them, or criminalize them, say this is just not worth giving a lot more energy to. Withdraw from that. As we practice, then the hindrances come in with their voices, their enticements, their promises. Say so, no, this you know, and then there is this field. This is what we take refuge in: the Buddha, the sense of the awakening. Awakening is not about becoming anything; it's just like waking up to here. Waking up to here, waking up to now. Hmm. 
and knowing how to, you know, facilitate your actions of speech and body and mind from that place. Take refuge in Dhamma, truth of cause and effect, the potencies that are there for our welfare. Take refuge in Sangha, in the examples, exemplars of other human beings, many of them, who have, like the lotus, grown out of the mud and uh, lifted towards the light and gradually opened up. This is uh, the image of, uh, it's often used for awakening, isn't it? Something that's essentially rooted in earth and mud, bottom of a pond, <laughs> sort of coming up through that to beckoned, beckoned by the sun to open up. And Sangha are those plants that are growing that way, you know, have got the point, growing up to it. So, where is the Sangha? You know, it's every inclination that we have to be part of that field. You join the Sangha because you decide to. Nobody else can get you in it. You, you decide to, you decide you're in it. That's a, <laughs> the fourfold Sangha, the, the Sangha, the Aryan Sangha, the Sangha of noble beings. Nobody else is going to get you in apart from your own volition and determination and, and recognition of that as a refuge. And so this is just realizing the importance of that, just to keep coming back to that potential. There's nobody going anywhere. There's nobody becoming anything. There are causes and conditions. Mm. Recognize those snags that pull us into time, the future, and space, something out there to get to or have. You know, we followed that decades. Mm. And really... It's time to wise up. So, off this for your reflection this evening. <coughs> <coughs> Um, continue our practice and at midnight we will share the blessings of our hearts with all beings <laughs>